Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones. Tristan's in for Brett McGarry for the rest of the week. Met lots of listeners down at St. Patel Center, and um, they sort of like you, Tristan. Only sort of? I'm, they miss Brett, but they, they sort of yeah. like you. So oh, That's nice. Yeah. Um, I won't tell you what all sorts of mean things they had to say about me. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was a reality check. I want to say hi to a couple of people, though. I want to say hi to Jerry, Sandy, Ray, Irwin, uh, Madeline, all sorts of great people coming down to St. Vitale Center. Thanks for everyone that uh, is supporting the Tri-Hospital Lottery today. It uh, really is an outstanding cause. And it's that difference between, my Grammy always used to say, good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good get better and the better best. And wow. this is the difference between, I, I, I think, uh, good he- health care being better and better health care being best. Uh, there are some bridges to build. Uh, equipment uh, is right at the top of the needs list. Technology changing all the time in the world of healthcare, and this is just one way that you can help bridge that gap. So um, please think about uh, your reasons for buying a ticket and supporting uh, this lottery that goes to support not only St. Boniface Hospital, which I'm very close to, the foundation there, but Health Sciences Centre and uh, the wonderful work of the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba. Oh, there you have it. That was I missed lovely. You. I missed you this morning. Oh, yeah. Well, so did I. Thank you for doing all this incredible work of putting our show together today. Uh, Charles Adler, our good friend, will join us from Vancouver, where we will, where we will uh, go to talk about uh, Donald Trump Jr. I'm a little hurt people are not uh, getting my joke on Facebook today. Oh, no. It has to do with Donald Trump. I didn't, even, I didn't even see the joke, so I'm uh, sorry. Description of his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what 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 did he what did he call his son in his uh, Twitter statement? Oh, I don't uh, I don't remember the exact words. A high quality person. High quality person. So yes, I've declared right? today, hug a high quality person day in honor right of Donald Trump's declaration that his son is a high quality person. So hug a high quality person today, Tristan. Okay. Already, I'll okay. uh, have to go through my list of high quality people. It's a it's a semi official holiday today. Uh, yesterday, essentially in broad daylight. Tell us, fill us in on some details. What happened at the intersection of Sherbrooke and Portage Avenue? Right, this was, and we started getting reports in our newsroom yesterday afternoon of what they call, referred to as a serious incident at a gas station. This was right on Portage Avenue uh, at Maryland. Uh, You've probably driven past it many times before without even noticing it. It's a busy, busy uh, part of town. Uh, And what happens is, uh, long and short of it is, Winnipeg police have arrested Four people who were involved in a road rage incident, road rage incident sounds like uh, it ended up being, and they were they were charged with drug offenses. Uh, sounds like somebody ended up getting stabbed. Um, and uh, what happens is one uh, constable, Tammy Scrabick, was telling us that road rage might have been involved in this incident. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're still trying to get all the details when it comes to what exactly happened, but. You know, there were a dozen police cars on scene, you know, four people who were suspects, someone seriously assaulted, had to have emergency surgery. So, you know, there's uh, a, a, a serious incident, no matter which way you look at it. And the fact that road rage might have been involved, 
Ouch. And, and Greg, if I'm not mistaken, you had a road rage or you witnessed a road rage incident recently, too. In fact, yesterday. It I'm was right. yesterday on my way home, maybe uh, an hour after this incident took place. Wow. Uh, before I get into m- what I witnessed, uh, a longtime friend of mine, Rick, uh, I'll keep his last name out of it. Now, I was trying to get Ricky to come on the air with us today to share firsthand his uh, witness account, his eyewitness account of what happened yesterday. But uh, I will read this from his Facebook page. I've seen a lot of things in movies and sadly in life watching these three guys punch kick and stab this guy was insane they made sure to include the woman with him in their assault as well he kept getting up and calling them on so they were more than happy to continue the beating and then uh, he goes on to say that he told his wife afterwards that he felt sick and uh, Ricky you have been on the air with me in the past so I'm not telling tales out of school even though I could tell tales literally out of school since Mm. we went to high school together. But Ricky spent some time in prison once upon a time. So this is not, uh, as the Americans like to call certain aspects of their population, Ricky's no snowflake. He knows uh, about the dark side of life. He's been there. He's seen it. And for him to be uh, this upset about what he witnessed yesterday tells me it was pretty brutal. I mean, you know, Greg, I witnessed, I've never witnessed a crime of those per, of of this magnitude, if you will, beforehand, but I did witness a you know kind not exactly road rage related, but I did witness an absolutely horrific crash just over a year ago. That's right. I remember that you were the first person on scene to that, were you not? One of the first people on scene. Long the short of it is, just outside where I live, mm-hmm. the building I live, there was a truck that was going down court, and I never heard any official speeds, but it was well well over fifty kilometers an hour. Could have been a hundred. And basically, the truck landed right in the yard of the building where I live, upside down. A wheel went crashing into one of the rooms. It took us, I think, close to six months to get that room back and repaired. There were bits of, of, of the, we had to completely redo the pool because there were bits of glass and there were elements of uh, the structure that were severely damaged. It was a, a horrific crash. And I mean, it was not long after midnight, I think it might have been 1 a.m. It was a Saturday, so there were a lot of people up still at that time. And I happened to be, uh, just to give you an idea as to how loud this was, I thought it was a plane crash at first. Um, and I was listening to, no joke, Iron Maiden in my <laughs> headphones, and I heard it through that. Wow. And What album, by the way? It was our live album. Not, live. To, not to make light of right. what you went through. It but was that, live after death. I just did. Which, uh, you know, I wonder if there's a message in there. But so immediately uh, looked on my balcony, looked down, you see this truck upside down, and uh, you see a tree in the middle of the road, you see tire marks, and you think there's something something catastrophic just happened here. So I went down. I was one of the first people on scene. And, you know, you witness something horrific like that. You know, we talk about the stabbing that happened yesterday, but you witness something horrific like that, it changes your perspective on life. As if beforehand, you know, beforehand I was never... Uh, you know, I, 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 I pledge never to drink and drive or to text and drive or do any of that stuff as if beforehand, you know, I, I, I didn't even need an extra reminder to say, Hey, that's why you don't do, that's why, that's why you don't do dangerous driving. I don't recall exactly if they ever mentioned the exact cause of the crash, but dangerous driving was definitely one of those for sure. And there was some speculation about exactly, and I won't get into the speculation, but there's, but there was some speculation as to, you know, the state of mind, let's put mm-hmm, it to you that way. Mm-hmm. And it's just, regardless of what it was, it was dangerous driving, and that leaves an impact on your life when you go out there and you're the first person on scene, and you know you see a driver and a passenger barely alive. 
you know, flung outside their vehicle. So seeing this stuff, so we go back back to the stabbing of yesterday, it really impacts you and it changes the way you see things. Um, so I can only imagine what your friend uh, Ricky there, when he's, if he posts that and if he's had a bit of a rough life himself, I can only imagine how brutal it must have been. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Have you ever witnessed a, a, maybe a crime or a, an accident that has uh, left you shaken? Has changed perhaps your view on life? We had that one Facebook message about the accident at the intersection of is it two forty seven and seventy five? Yes, I believe so. And of course, that took two lives. And uh, the young woman who sent me Facebook message telling me now that her husband, who's a truck driver, that has never worn a seatbelt, this has really shaken him and may have him reconsidering uh, what he does in his life. Have you ever witnessed anything that has changed your the way you perceive life and had you maybe changed the way you approach uh, different aspects of that life? We'd love to hear from you when we come back. I'll tell you. When I was on my way home yesterday, I was pulled up behind a truck and a semi-trailer, northbound Route 90. I got my phone out because I thought I was going to see fireworks. And uh, fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, but we'll we'll share that with you when we come back as well. Uh, unless you want to preempt me with your phone calls, 204-780-6868. It's Mackling along with Tristan Field-Jones in for a vacationing Brett McGarry. So last night I'm heading home, northbound Route 90, trying to head towards the perimeter, and things are a little bit slow as they tend to be Mm. at around 5 o'clock on that stretch of road. And I witnessed uh, coming up to Logan, a gentleman in a red pickup truck following a semi-trailer, and I can see him with his head out the window yelling at the semi-trailer ahead of him. The yelling, I can hear, I can hear it in my vehicle and then I see the truck door open. Uh-oh. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. Might make for good video, but this is not <laughs> going to be good. So I'm on the phone with my buddy in, in British Columbia. I said, Johnny, I got to let you go. So I hang up. I'm scrambling to get my phone on video. I know, probably uh, susceptible to a ticket there. Uh, you can come and see me at uh, 680 CGOB. Trying to do my job, right? Right. And so I get the video camera up and... I was not comfortable. These were two big guys, and they're barking at each other. Finally get the video going, and don't they start shoving one another? So I got to make a decision at this point. I know that I shouldn't be operating this behind the wheel, thinking I should get out, but if one of these guys turns on me or they both turn on me because I've got a camera on them now, I'm thinking this is not a good idea. So I shut the camera off. I put it away. And the pushing, shoving, and then there was a push from behind as the lead driver went to go back in his vehicle. It didn't get ugly. Honest to God, though, Tristan, I thought it was going to get very violent. And this is, I don't know what it is about this time in society, but we feel comfortable berating one another at the drop of a hat. There, there, There's... I don't know that uh, Kelly Moore called it unsocial media, anti-social media, anti-social media, anti un, you take your pick of your prefix. Uh, We seem to be coming a a little bit less uh, sociable. Martin's been waiting patiently. Martin, we want to get your story. We asked for your stories about witnessing uh, frightening things. Martin, are you in that boat? Yeah. um, Well, it's actually my brother, my younger brother. He, uh, several years back, there was uh, an accident where a girl got hit by someone who was speeding through town in Winkler, Manitoba, right in front of the high school. 
and uh, he was actually right uh, right next to the street there, uh, walking past. And one of the first responders, he ended up holding her, and she actually passed away in his arms. Ooh. And yeah, the it's all just because of distracted driving, and that that affects everybody around it too. Like he was he's it messed with him for well over a year, and he actually ended up. Uh, one night I got, got a call. I actually had to go to the hospital because he was struggling with uh, depression. And it's quite intense with the effect that it has. Yeah, I can just imagine that, Martin. How's your brother doing now? Uh, he's uh, better now, but it's, it messed with him for the better part of almost two years. Wow. Just that one incident. Give him our best, and uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, that that must have been, uh, you know, those are one of those things you never want to go through. No. Uh, I'm just remembering now, I don't talk about this very often, but when I was in uh, kindergarten, I don't know if they did this when you were in kindergarten, but when we, we went to kindergarten way back in the day, back in the black and white days, uh, for half the year, you'd go to kindergarten in the morning and then the other half you go afternoons or the other way around to try and get you used to getting up in the morning if you weren't a morning person and get you used to the idea of going to school until 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon if, if you, maybe you were a morning person. And the t- my two buddies that I used to walk to school with every day, we'd just done the switchover. And um, I was standing out looking out my front door, and this car comes peeling around the corner, does a U-turn, and goes up on the boulevard and sends my two best friends flying in the air, catapulting, takes out probably 25 feet of fence and keeps going. And I can remember my mom screaming, and that's about the last of that incident that I remember, other than the fire trucks coming to uh, spray yeah. down the driveway. And uh, that's one of those incidents that I know I've blocked out of my memory. And uh, just horrifying. When I even sit here thinking about this is uh, 42 years ago. Oh, especially if you're four it's, or five years old when you see still, this, that's It horrific. still shakes me up. Still shakes me yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's not, I mean... Uh, you know, the, and unfortunately for some people, I mean, I, I think these life-changing incidents, thank you know, good or bad, sometimes you need that, you know, kick in the arse uh, to, to, I to, to done change. I that experience. Oh, TFJ. certainly. But it's just, I think some people need that kick in the arse to say, hey, you know what, maybe what you're doing isn't right. I mean, I'll tell you this, even though I'm not a bad driver and I don't do bad habits, when I witnessed that horrific crash outside my building, believe you me, I didn't even... Like if I had even the slightest temptation to reach for my phone while I was driving, I thought of that crash and I thought, nope, nope, nope. And it's just, and that that day there were a lot of people that were changed after what they saw and after just the sheer amount of destruction. Did you do driver's ed? Yep. I went through the graduated licensing program. And so you saw all those films that they used to put us through when you were taking driver's ed. Did those have an effect on you in any way? We didn't watch a whole lot of films, and the ones I did, I don't even remember the ones we did watch. Mm, Um, So clearly uh, made a real powerful statement. Yeah, no, I didn't. I just remember that our driver's ed instructor would yell at us all the time, so it wasn't fun. It wasn't super effective? No. Mm. No. That's unfortunate. Yeah. We've had text messages, we've had text messages over the last few weeks when we get into the uh, driving uh, issues that a lot of people would like to see uh, the driver's ed system uh, turned on its ear. Maybe we'll have to do some investigating on that. If you have some feedback yeah. on driver's ed and if you've ever been the witness to 
either was a serious attack, like what we saw on Portage Avenue yesterday. Uh, Ricky, thanks once again for uh, sharing mm-hmm. your firsthand account of that. Hopefully we can get Rick on the air at some point in the next day or so uh, to share with us how this is affecting him and, and, and what he saw. If you have something you'd like to share, uh, GMAC at cjob.com. Tristan, what's your It's uh, Tristan, email? T-R-I-S-T-A-N at cjob.com. You can email me anytime. You, you know, Greg, I was just... Uh, you know, we talk about road rage and I mean, I must admit sometimes when I get frustrated, uh, behind the wheel, uh, when I'm alone in my car, of course, I'll yell at people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not yelling to anybody or yelling uh, sometimes maybe, but it's just, but that's all it gets. Right. I don't bother getting out of my car and shaking my fist or, you know, making a gesture or anything. I'll get frustrated and angry, but after I've done yelling, I feel much better. And oh, that's really all I need. But I, I just wonder why. I, I just wonder how people can get so enraged at a situation like this guy cut me off. Well, yeah, he cut you off. And yeah, maybe he was a jerk when he did that. But is it really worth getting outside your car and having a a, a show of fists, if you will? I, I, I just I can't put myself in that mindset of getting that angry at a driver in spite of the fact that, you know, I yell at drivers all the time when I'm alone in my car. Well, I think maybe if you had another hundred pounds on you where, and you were a foot taller, you might have a maybe you would have a different approach to it. I think sometimes it's uh, think, where you see yourself in the yeah. pecking order physically. You know, can, can I take most guys that are going to get out of the vehicle? Uh, one of my buddies that I know that got into a serious thing, he's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, so he feels pretty comfortable yeah. when he gets out of the vehicle. I'm 6'1", I'm not really a fighter, and so I've uh, done my share of uh, yelling and back and forth, but never gotten out of a car. To the point where I want to uh, go toe to toe. Although, as I say that, I think I did do it once. <laughs> Memories coming yeah, back. I think to just Greg over here at Polar Bark, some guy was honking his horn at me, and I was not impressed because uh, the three-way stop situation. Oh yeah, this is coming back crystal clear. Oh no! And of course, of course, Jackie happened to come out of the mall. I was picking her up and to see all this. Yeah, see, I'm a hothead, too. <laughs> You're trying to explain I'm a, yourself. I'm a oh, hothead, I was just getting too. out of the car to stretch no, and say hi no, to the driver. No, 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 no. Some guy thought that he was the king of the road, and and uh, I had to be kinger of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not classy at all. Keep it classy, GMAC. It's just not the way to go. <laughs> Charles Adler standing by. He will join us after Global News and Weather with Tristan Field-Jones at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about his take on the... Situation in Washington, D.C., in the United States, Donald J. Trump, his son. What's going on? Is this something, uh, is there a smoking gun here? We'll get Charles Adler's opinion on that when we return. Hope you're having a fantastic afternoon. It's Greg and Tristan. Your revelations yesterday that on June the 3rd, 2016, an email sent to Donald Trump Jr. could hardly have been more explicit one of his father's former Russian business partners had been contacted by a senior Russian government official and was offering to provide the Trump campaign with dirt on Hillary Clinton. This from the New York Times. Uh, we will uh, fill in the, the details of the story as we know it as we move along with Charles Adler, who joins us now from Vancouver. Of course, he hosts Charles Adler tonight on the Chorus Radio Network. And Charles, why don't we start with my first question. Why are we even discussing this here on a Canadian broadcast? Well, do you mind? <laughs> I don't mean to be obstreperous. Or... 
why would anyone ask why are we discussing an issue uh, that involves uh, the potential impeachment of the most powerful political person on earth, virtually our only client on much of what we call our, our economy, our shared economy, our shared border, our shared culture. I, once again, I, I don't mean to be, be nasty, but where the hell is that question coming from? It comes from some of our listeners, believe it or not, Charles. And as you know, I'm, I'm customer-centric, and so I like sure. to be the voice of all of our customers. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to put that out there, uh, whether in the minority or the majority. Well, that, 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 that's fine, and I respect uh, our listeners for asking, and I'm glad that our listeners feel comfortable enough with asking. I think that it's possible that uh, some people only concern themselves with things that are going on inside the perimeter or inside Manitoba or inside Canada. I respect that, um, but I also respect, I think, the majority of people who live in this country, no matter where they live, uh, who do understand. I don't think they need to be schooled on, on how important um, American politics is and, and what the impact of uh, the American entity is on our lives. It's got nothing to do with being right of center, left of center, any of that uh, Nonsense. I mean, some people just kind of live inside their blogs and live inside their basements, and, and that's fine, too, if you've got a good life doing that. I hope you get a good oxygen supply. But I'm just talking about uh, the basics here. Um, America is important to everybody in this country in a bread-and-butter way. It is the golden goose. That's why sometimes I resent listening to a, no- a bunch of anti-American uh, nonsense I think it's easy to be anti uh, an American government position or anti uh, Donald Trump or or anti uh, Hillary Clinton, whatever. Uh, but uh, one has to lose sight. Uh, one should never lose sight of the fact that the country and the country's economy and the country's culture is a lot larger than the minutia of politics. Now, the media that comes under attack constantly from uh, President Donald Trump uh, continually being called fake news. I don't know if we can call the New York Times the work that they're doing fake news. Joe Becker, Adam Goldman, Matt Apuzzo, who essentially put pressure on, inadvertently or otherwise, Donald Trump Jr. to release an email string uh, that was full of information that had, uh, well, I would say a good portion of the public that wasn't watching the Major League Baseball All-Star Game last night, uh, absolutely enthralled by what this means. So what does the information mean, in your opinion, Charles, that was released in these emails by Donald Trump Jr. himself, including his own statement saying that if this information is what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. What's your interpretation of of what we learned yesterday? First of all, about uh, Donald Trump uh, calling things uh, fake news, uh, that's just simply uh, to deflect. I mean, that's a, that's a tactic. That's not an observation. Uh, Donald Trump uh, tweeted today that he never watches television. I mean, so, you know, <laughs> There's th- some th- fake th- news. those things are, I mean, he's, he's always playing mind games. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of people allow him inside their heads. Uh, I would just suggest that anyone who uh, wants to have uh, Donald Trump occupying his head uh, needs to go distract themselves with something else, just go outside, get some fresh air, uh, because you you deserve a better life than that. But as far as the importance of uh, the email download, and yes, if it wasn't for the New York Times, 
Donald Trump Jr. wouldn't have come uh, forward with it because uh, he knew the story was coming out, and so he decided to try to be uh, proactive. But what it, what it means is that uh, Donald Trump Jr., and this isn't about him, the team, uh, we're talking about Kushner, Manafort, the senior leaders of the Trump campaign, and therefore you have to believe that Trump was highly aware of this, if not quarterbacking it that the senior leaders of the Trump campaign thought it was not just perfectly okay to be getting stolen information from the Russians. They were licking their lips, to use Donald Trump's Jr.'s words. Love it. They loved the idea of, of getting contraband, of getting intelligence that was stolen uh, from the Russians. And once again, uh, this is like, you know, trying to explain why America is relevant, as, as if it's not obvious enough. Uh, it ought to be obvious to a 12-year-old that the Russians are an adversary. And even if they weren't an adversary, even if it was a friendly country, let's use their own country. If the campaign was meeting with Canadian officials who had stolen information to offer them, the first thing you do is not have a meeting. The first thing you do is call the FBI. That's how things work. When, you're, when, you, when someone uh, says to you, um, Greg, I've got some hot merchandise I just stole from Advance. Advance is a great place. It's really, really good crap. Uh, it's in my trunk. It's 90% discounted from what Advance is charging. Come and meet me, uh, Greg. I'll meet you at Polo Park at 4 o'clock this afternoon. What's your choice at that point, and, and what choice do you make, Greg? Well, I know that if I meet this guy and the cops show up, uh, I'm not innocent by saying, oh, I didn't really realize what was going on here. That much I know. I know that I'm guilty by association. And in this case, uh, what they decided to do as the excuse, the excuse they're making today is, yeah, we were really salivating over the meeting, but we really didn't like what we were being offered. So this is the equivalent of you saying to the cops, uh, uh, sir, uh, uh, I'm awfully sorry. Uh, yes, I was excited about the, the prospect of getting hot merchandise, but, you know, the stuff he was selling, I don't want that. I don't, I don't, I don't care if he's giving it away for, for nothing. I, I don't need that. I've, I've got, I, I don't want those speakers. I don't want that phone. Uh, it's just not what I'm about, so I don't even know why we're having this discussion. At that point, the cop is wondering whether you've got a psychological problem. Mm-hmm. Charles, I have to ask as, as someone who's, you know, I, I've been trying to follow the situation as much as I can. And frankly, sometimes I get lost in all the reports out there and all the information that we're being that's being distributed from all sorts of sources. Not that it's fake news by any means, but sometimes I get lost in all the all, all this stuff. And I think there are a lot of people out there who might be of a, of a similar mentality, if you will. But to me, this seems like it's far more concrete, possibly the most concrete evidence of Russian collusion that we've seen so far in this whole mess. Yeah, because this is coming uh, from email, coming from documents, and nobody doubts that the documents are, are authentic. And when you read the documents, I invite anyone uh, to read them. They're very, very easy to, to get a hold of. Just uh, Google Donald Trump Jr. email Russia and you'll find it. And so nobody has to listen to what a commentator has to say about this, whether it's Charles Adler or Charles Krauthammer or, or, or Jake Tapper or Joe Scarborough or anybody else. Just look at the documents for yourself and ask yourself the question, what were these bleeps? What were these people with the Trump campaign? What the hell were they thinking? And if someone was offering you hot merchandise, 
Would you be salivating over it and putting it on email? I mean, I'm not even talking about uh, keeping your thoughts uh, to yourself. I mean, everyone has thoughts. Uh, some thoughts are more appropriate than other thoughts. I mean, the, you know, the brain is the brain. The mind is the mind. But actually putting it down on email, I mean, can you, Greg, uh, uh, Tristan, can you imagine um, uh, going to the keyboard right now? Uh, because no matter how private you think email is, uh, clearly uh, other people can always get their hands on it. Can you, can you imagine oh. putting uh, your, your fingers to the keyboard and saying, I'm really looking forward to buying stolen merchandise? <laughs> in the Polo Park parking lot at 4 o'clock today. No, I'm, I'm super careful, even on Twitter, especially in the world of, of fake outrage nowadays and everybody getting offended by everything. I am super careful as someone who works in the media on what I put on Twitter, let alone the fact that if I had, like you said, this hot merchandise, I wouldn't advertise that to begin with. Th that wouldn't even come close to that. But I'm concerned about just the way I word myself on Twitter. And yet, here we are with people close to the president. Tristan, it's perfectly clear to me, Charles, maybe you will uh, disagree with this. Russia may be an enemy of the United States, but to me, it's clear that Russia and the most powerful people in Russia are clearly not an enemy of the Trump family. <laughs> no, they've been, they've been doing business for a number, a number of years. But as far as what the Russians wanted out of all of this, what Putin generally wants is one thing. Uh, he has been listening for decades, and he is a proud Russian, uh, and uh, he is very open about uh, the fact that in a perfect world, uh, it would still be a communist uh, super state, a Soviet state with far more territory. He's actually always been, been honest about that. But as a person who is a former KGB person and a uh, former soldier for the Soviet Union, and in many ways it still is, as a person who has that particular bent and that particular ideology, Vladimir Putin has been sick and tired all his life listening to how America is number one, America's number one at democracy, America's number one at technology, America's number one at openness, and most important, what, he, what bothers him is America is the beacon to the world. America is that shining city on the hill. America is where everyone wants to go, including, of course, many Russians who, who now live in America and prosper in America. He is so sick and tired of that. And so here he has a golden opportunity to make America look foolish. And Vladimir Putin is laughing about this every day. I'm not saying that this is helping the Russian economy, because I don't think it is. And I'm not suggesting that uh, the Russians are, are getting very much out of this outside of a fabulous ego ride, getting their jollies, because they have been waiting for decades for America to look as small. Trump talks about making America great again. <laughs> In the eyes of the Russians right now and many people around the world, America is looking small. And every day that America looks small is a good day for Vladimir Putin. Even if this lawyer didn't have what the Trump campaign was looking for, what had Donald Jr. so excited, they've got him. Because now he's expressed in an email that he is prepared to entertain the idea of sitting down and going over, pouring over documents that may give his dad's campaign an advantage, even though... It's borderline treasonous if it's not 
completely treasonous. They yeah, have whether treasonous. that is. I don't mean to be anal about this, but the law is the law, and uh, it's only mm-hmm. treasonous if they're at war. So you, you don't you can't charge anyone with okay. treason unless you're in the midst. So it, you know it's not treason, but, but it's a whole it's a whole bunch of other things. Okay, and beyond beyond the, the thing about the collusion and the Russians and all of that, which naturally people will will focus on. Just ask yourself the the question: Are these people competent to run a government? Because, I mean, we've, we've got forest fires in, in, in B.C. right now, and we've had floods in Manitoba and fires and everything else. Regardless of whether you're right or left or which shows you like listening to or which blogs you want to read, you want to believe that the government is competent in the case of an emergency. You want to believe that the government is competent to do the basics of government. How on earth do you trust the people running the U.S. government at the highest executive level right now if they're not even competent enough to understand this stuff. So, Charles, I have to ask, what's next? When you look in your crystal ball, what do you see coming up here? I see a major league investigation coming up where you've got a rather independent or more independent of what we have right now, bipartisan commission, similar to what we had during Watergate. And one of the reasons I see that is because Republicans will need cover. Republicans at the moment are in limbo. Uh, They don't want to be attacking Trump. They don't want to be defending Trump. But what Republicans need is an opportunity to say the bipartisan commission is bipartisan. The integrity of it is unquestioned. And we will listen to what the commission is investigating. We will listen to what the commission concludes and we believe in the American way, and this is the American way. That way they don't sound like they're slamming Trump, which is very, very difficult for them to do, because many of the people who support them and will vote for them and will fundraise for them are no different than people who ask the question, why are the hell are we discussing this in the first place? It doesn't, it doesn't matter to us, and even if, it's, even if it's real, he's basically a good guy, and he's much better than Hillary and Obama, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the, the last thing, of, as ironic as this may sound, the last thing a politician wants to be in is, a, is in a political quagmire where he's having to talk back uh, to his own base, an independent commission, an independent bipartisan commission, I think, is what these Republicans ultimately will go for, not because uh, they want to be kind or they want to be nice, but because they want to save their skins. Every one of them faces re-election now, and then many of them are facing re-election next year. I didn't uh, throw out the word treason uh, lightly, Charles. Uh, a lot of the commentators last night were arguing that uh, the United States, even just based on what's going on in Syria, you could argue they are at war with Russia. But we will uh, we will part uh, on those terms and part on that point. Charles Adler, host of Charles Adler Tonight, right here on 680 CGOB and across the Chorus Radio Network, 9 to midnight in this market. Uh, who have you got lined up to talk about this this evening, Charles? I like to keep those things a secret. I don't like to put them out on email. I don't like to discuss them publicly. <laughs> we, have great, we have great stuff tonight. Here's what I can always guarantee you. Everybody listening will, will be kept awake. All right? It, it will not be boring. I realize that that, you know, 
that too. It's kind of like fake news when someone doesn't like something on radio. They go, that's boring. That's boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for people who don't like what they hear, but what's what's funny about that is even the people who throw that out, they'll throw it out at me. That's boring. That's fake news. Slow news day. Those are my most loyal listeners, and yep. sometimes they have a hard time understanding. And so I'll say it one more time. I love them the most. Yes, I treat everyone the same, but I really appreciate the people who throw rocks, the people who want to send nasty texts, because I know that these people are giving us more time and spending more time with us than anybody else. So I love you to bits. And inadvertently, Charles, they're the ones that help pay your salary and my salary and Greg's salary. Very grateful to them. Charles, I've uh, quoted my grandmother, my late Grammy, once this hour, I'll do it again. You are a rascal, my friend. <laughs> I love you guys for calling me, and I always love every opportunity uh, that I can have to speak to Manitobans, whether it's on my show or your show. Thanks, Chuck. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Appreciate you the bet. time, as always. Charles Adler, Charles Adler tonight, right here on 680 CJOB, 9 till midnight. We went a little long there. We'll come back, update the weather forecast, and wrap up the first hour right here on Mackling McGarry with TFJ. Just a couple minutes here to wrap up. Our first hour. Thanks uh, to Charles Adler for joining us. I know mm-hmm. we got a couple calls, you know, people angry that we're even talking about this. Well, I, t- I told you. It, here's the thing. If you're wondering why the heck we're talking about what's going on with, with Donald Trump's son and the whole Russian investigation and blah, 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 blah. Here's why. And I'll tell you why. It's a number. 9.5 billion. Would you like to guess what that is? The amount of trade between Canada and the United States every single day. The amount of the number and the amount of exports Manitoba makes on a yearly basis Mm -hmm. to the U.S. That's just Manitoba's number. This is from the uh, government's uh, trade and investment uh, site. Uh, Nine and a half, over nine and a half billion dollars in 2015 of goods were exported to the United States from Manitoba. So... It doesn't matter. You love love the Americans, hate the Americans, do whatever it is. The fact is, no matter what happens in the U.S., has a direct consequence on us here in Winnipeg, here in Manitoba. Man, I love America. I love a lot of things and a lot of people mm-hmm. south of the line. And uh, that's why this hurts as much as anything, to, to see their country, Absolutely. their democracy in such disarray right now. Uh, Tristan will slide into the news booth, deliver the global news and weather at the top of the hour. Then we're going to talk about interest rate hikes. Bank of Canada announcing uh, what seems to be a small hike in the uh, what we used to call the prime lending rate. We'll talk about that when we come back. How will it affect you? It's Greg and Tristan. We might be talking a little math in this segment here. So I've got my calculator, calculator out. You, what did you say? 9.5 billion uh, yeah, roughly. That's according to 2015 numbers for exports uh, from Manitoba to the, to the U.S. And, and <laughs> I guess that was uh, the amount of money that went across the border every day. Yearly. Yeah, I know. My guess was every oh, day. Oh, sorry. Yes. 365. Ooh. I don't think my calculator can even calculate it. I think it's like 3.4 trillion or something like that. So it was off. But... Manitoba punches above its weight because the total amount of goods exported from Manitoba to the U.S. in uh, nine, or 2016 was uh, $278.1 billion. So if you take that nine times it by 30, it's $270 billion. Manitoba doing way better with 3% of the population. We punch above our weight. That's what I always do with stats like that, 
Canadian stats, Manitoba stats. Mm-hmm. I multiply them by 30. And if we're over the number, that means we're contributing more than our population share. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense, yeah, but math has never been my strong point. I failed my pre-cal exam in high school. so Shame on you. Tristan Field-Jones in for Vacationing Brett McGarry. I'm Greg Mackling. We will promise, well, we'll promise to do our best. How about that? To keep the math as limited as possible, but... And math that matters to you, certainly. uh, I would agree with that 100%. That's why we're bringing on our next guest to talk about the move the Bank of Canada made today. We have uh, Stephen Zen. He's acting head of the accounting and finance department at the Asper School of Business. We've tapped into several people from the Asper School of Business before. They've all been fabulous. And Stephen, we have no doubt uh, that you will be fabulous as well. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, so, Stephen, let's chat about this. This is a huge story. The Bank of Canada increasing its, its key interest rate to 0.75%. First time in seven years that this happened. Why don't we start with the very basics here, because I'm sure there are, this will affect a lot of people. Uh, whether you matter about the exact percentage or not, the fact is this will affect your pocketbook. Stephen, what are the areas uh, for the average person? You have a mortgage or a loan. What should you watch out for as a result of this interest rate hike? Uh, well, the interest rate that the Bank of Canada just hiked is the overnight interest rate. Uh, so uh, this does not uh, directly, immediately uh, uh, change your uh, the interest rate on your mortgage loan or your personal loan. However, uh, the prime rate moves in lockstep with the overnight rate, and the variable rate mortgage rate uh, rate on car loans, personalized credit, and even some credit cards, uh, they are their interest rates are tied to the prime rate. So uh, we should expect uh, the interest rate on these products to have. Uh, interest to have higher rates soon. And in addition, uh, in anticipation of the rate hike, some banks already increased the interest rate on fixed rate mortgage loans. So a lot of people will be affected by this interest rate hike. Stephen, the cascading effect of this uh, change, seven years without a change. I'm old enough to remember when the when the prime interest rate was, you know, as high as 12, 13, 14, 15 percent. And every Thursday, We'd be waiting by the radio to find out what the new prime interest rate would be. Uh, is this an unprecedented amount of time for the prime rate or the overnight rate to to stay where it is? Seven years sounds like an awful long time. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, the uh, extremely low interest rate uh, it was introduced because of the Great Recession, and uh, uh, we uh, before that we never had interest rate to stay this low for such a long time. So, Stephen, I have to ask, as a result of these low interest rates, we've had a lot of people borrowing money, a lot of people spending a lot of money, you know, uh, accumulating debt for a lot of Canadians is a massive concern, uh, especially since we are at record household debt levels. So with this interest rate hike um, from, I guess, a bigger picture, what's the biggest concern uh, when it comes to that household debt? Do we need to... Uh, should Canadians who are in debt, do they need to uh, pay a little closer attention to their pocketbooks? Uh, well, uh, if you look at the monetary policy of the Bank of Canada, uh, the goal was to keep inflation low, stable, and predictable. So inflation was supposed to be the biggest concern. However, as you just mentioned, we have record high debt level. And this record high debt level is indeed associated with the extremely low interest rate. Uh, and uh, the Bank of Canada has expressed concerns, uh, serious concerns about the debt level for several years. And hopefully now the higher interest rate will give Canadians 
less incentive to borrow and more incentive to pay down their debt. Uh, so hopefully we can reduce our leverage uh, slightly uh, given this uh, uh, increase in interest rate. Now, the investment world seems to like this. The Canadian dollar has been going up over the last couple of weeks as rumors turned into likelihood and now fact today. And so the Canadian dollar uh, trying to get back to around 78 cents It's not there yet. The justification by the Bank of Canada is a healthier economy. Is that based on the earnings and the financial uh, wherewithal and well-being of corporations or or the wages of everyday Canadians? How do they measure that? Well, um, the Bank of Canada, actually, uh, they usually uh, start from uh, looking at the uh, GDP growth rate. And now uh, the economy seems to have picked up, and they, they expect GDP to grow by 2.8% in 2017. And they also look and see the number of jobs created. In the past year, the, uh, 351,000 jobs uh, were created. Uh, so uh, those are the main factors uh, that make the Bank of Canada feel uh, it is a good time to increase the overnight interest rate now. Well, GDP is all well and good, and uh, overall economy growth might be good, but I can almost predict that wages are not going up 2.5, 2.6, 2.9% right now. Yep, uh, that's right. And uh, uh, the Bank of Canada, uh, their just- justification is uh, they will expect uh, and they, it takes it, it take, take some time for the monetary policy to have some effect on the inflation rate, and they want to make sure that uh, they uh, increase the interest rate early enough to prevent the inflation from uh, going up. Stephen, I, uh, from what my perspective, you know, we mentioned it was seven years that the Bank of Canada didn't touch the interest rate; it stayed at point at point five percent. You know, in that yep. seven years, we've had uh, obviously the Great Recession, but. I maybe it was just me, but I thought there were a lot of people who were kind of surprised it took them this long before they did anything. Was our economy really in that bad of a shape uh, for all that seven years, or was it was it simply put they were they simply weren't confident uh, in us recovering from the Great Recession? I'd be curious to get some of your insight into that. Um, well, uh, initially the plan uh, for the Bank of Canada was to uh, increase the interest rate uh, gradually after. Uh, the economy uh, recovers after the Great Recession. Uh, the Great Recession was really a serious recession, and that's why we had uh, extremely low interest rate uh, level to start with. So the Bank of Canada increased the overnight rate to 1% in August 2010. Uh, however, uh, after that, uh, the economy uh, actually, uh, the recovery actually slowed down. And then uh, the, we had the um, oil price plummeted, and the energy industry in Canada was dragged down. Uh, and the Bank of Canada had to reduce the overnight rate again. Uh, actually, they had to do it twice in 2015. Uh, so uh, that, those are the possibly the reasons why uh, the interest rate uh, stayed at extremely low level for uh, a long time. Stephen, last one for you here. We're talking and concentrating on consumer. I've asked you about the health of the overall economy. You've you've mentioned that the GDP forecast to go up 2.6-2.9%. What about the government of Canada? We are in debt. Every province is in debt. We spend an awful lot of money repaying that debt. Is that going to affect this change in the prime interest rate, the overnight rate? Is that going to change the amount of money that governments are going to have to pay to finance that debt? 
Yes, of course. Uh, with the increase in overnight interest rate, the yield on the sugar bills and the sugar bonds will uh, increase, and the government will have to uh, pay more interest rate uh, on their debt. And uh, again, hopefully, this will give the governments uh, more incentive to uh, pay down their debt. Stephen, thank you for this. We appreciate it very much. You're welcome. That's Stephen Zen. He is acting head of the accounting and finance department at the Asper School of Business. Thank him very much for his insight into this. So if you have a mortgage or a car loan, definitely want to take a look and see what impact that has on your pocketbook. Um, and, you know, like Stephen said, maybe these higher interest rates, slightly higher interest rate, will uh, encourage some people to save some money, maybe spend a little bit less. I just always wonder well, why the monetary policy are dictated by the health of one part of the economy when the other is clearly having a hard time keeping up with the cost of living. Cost of living increases as part of uh, negotiations, uh, whether you're unionized or non-unionized. Well, we're seeing what happened, what's happening in Manitoba. You're not getting cost of living. I don't know what you're getting. I don't know. I do know what I'm getting. And I will guess that a lot of people are not getting uh wage increases that match the cost of living and the and the and the GDP increase which is eventually going to turn into uh, some form of inflation it's just it's inescapable well and even when you look at uh, the negotiations with uh, the uh, with QP for instance I believe that that contract was one percent increases a year and, and a wage freeze in that I mean not massive increases by any means. Um, and that's very much, even the, the, the folks who work in unions are working what you might consider cushy government jobs, even they're not getting those those big uh, pay hikes. Uh, so, yeah, that, this is across the board for sure. Is this a wake-up call for you listening right now? We do not have access to text message right now, but our phone lines are open, 204-780-6868. Does today's 0.25%, and really, it's a 50% increase. In the overnight rate, we've gone from 0.5 to 0.75. That's not going to mean your mortgage is going to go up 50% or the amount of interest that you pay on your mortgage because there's been a large buffer. Typically, they got away from those used to have mortgages available that was prime plus 1.5 or 2. They slowly took those away. But fixed interest and and non-locked-in mortgages are going to be changing and some of your credit card rates are going to be changing. Is this a wake-up call for you or no big deal? 204-780-6868. Would love to hear from you this afternoon. I'm Greg. He is Tristan in for a vacationing. Brett. Tristan, were you the valedictorian of your uh, graduating class? I was not. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were. No. No? At uh, Daniel Mack, we had a speech competition to Mm -hmm. see who would be the valedictorian. The title of my speech was Blame It on a Teacher. Nice. And of course, it was a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing, right? When you're, when you're successful and you're receiving that college diploma or that PhD or that first really good job, blame it on a teacher, right? And uh, so when these come, I, I did not, I was not allowed to be the valedictorian. My speech was the best, but they kind of took took me aside. They said, "Yeah." Your grades are not good enough, Mackling. This is aside, not really going to work. It took you aside, we said, should have had more you. parameters yeah. involved with who could apply to be in the speech competition. I digress. So when I see <laughs> these, this is commencement season and some are later than others, uh, this has gone viral. 
Supreme Court Justice in the United States, John Roberts, his unconventional speech to his son's graduating class. So you can imagine, based on my confession moments ago, blame it on a teacher, this resonated with me. I wish you bad luck. What's that all about, Tristan? Well, um, a little more context is obviously needed. And without giving it away, we just uh, grabbed a few minutes from his fabulous commencement speech. And this is Chief Justice John Roberts speaking to students about how he wishes them bad luck. But that's not the whole story. Now, the commencement speakers also wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that, and I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you, you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. Now, commencement speakers are also expected to give some advice. They give grand advice and they give some useful tips. The most common grand advice they give is for you to be yourself. It is an odd piece of advice to give people dressed identically. <laughs> but you should, you should be yourself. But you should understand what that means. Unless you are perfect, it does not mean don't make any changes. In a certain sense, you should not be yourself. You should try to become something better. People say be yourself because they want you to resist the impulse to conform to what others want you to be. But you can't be yourself if you don't learn who you are. And you can't learn who you are unless you think about it. The Greek philosopher Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And while just do it may be a good model for some things, it's not a good model when it's trying to figure out how to live your life that is before you. And one important clue to living a good life is to not to try to live the good life. The best way to lose the values that are central to who you are is frankly not to think about them at all. So this uh, took place June 3rd. I didn't think we were having commencement addresses in the middle of July. This was... Uh, uh, Justice Roberts, his son, graduating from Cardigan Mountain School, a New Hampshire boarding school for boys in grades six through nine. Sounds like a commencement speech that would be very valuable at any age. Absolutely. Maybe even better so for young people as they are gaining reputation, this entitled generation. I, I have a lot of 
problems with that because there are, are a lot of hardworking people in your generation, Tristan yep. Field Jones, people who are uh, filling our world with innovation and imagination, work hard, uh, just maybe not in the traditional set. Well, it, pardon me, since they're not out there shoveling, uh, digging ditches and, and doing things that I used to do for a summer job, like uh, dil- digging a foundation for a- an extension on a house by hand. Uh, not a lot of kids out there doing that right now. Well, it's it's always amusing to me when you hear about and we hear about the advice for millennials and the young people today and, you know, how they're all uh, uh, lazy or self-entitled or whatever it was. And, it you know. Okay, fine. If 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 that is true, keep in mind that the millennial generation didn't raise itself, right? And that's is the that case. Is that a shot at parents of millennials? No, Justin not Phil at all. Jones? It's a shot at everybody who has that mentality of separating these generations. Every generation is interconnected, and the fact is, the millennials. Now, having said that, are a lot of them, you know, kind of lazy, self entitled, selfie loving people? Of course, but ultimately, the fact is. There were circumstances that raised them that way, and it is incredibly difficult for a lot of people nowadays who go to university, who go to college, which get excessively expensive to find. You, you don't just go to college or go to high school and then get a full-time job right out of the gate. That doesn't happen anymore, and that, I think, is really sad, and we need to remember that. I think we might have found our topic to discuss with Carolyn Clausen tomorrow. Sure. At 2.30. Coming up on 2.30 right now on this Wednesday afternoon, Carolyn Clausen will be here tomorrow at 2.30. We've got global news and weather, and then we're going to escape for a little bit when we come back. We'll make sense of that word when we return. It's Greg and Tristan on this Wednesday afternoon. Cool, wet weather can be a blessing for some <laughs> People in our economy. I know the Winnipeg Gold Eyes and the Blue Bombers have their fingers crossed for a nice day tomorrow. The mm-hmm. the Gold Eyes, I think they were up 16-2 to two last night after five innings. Uh, they had to finally uh, call that game. I think they got officially in the books. But there are some entertainment ve- ventures who don't mind cooler wetter weather this time of the year. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Tristan Field-Jones. And Tristan, this is something you have done that I have not we're going to talk about escape rooms. I didn't know that you hadn't uh, taken nope, part in an escape room. I have room. not not been there yet. Oh, you are missing out, sir. I have done. Um, I can't even. Think. I'm pro- I've probably done about half a dozen escape rooms, maybe that. And uh, it has been a blast every single time. If you're looking to escape from the dreary weather to maybe a spaceship, or maybe go on an adventure in a depression era bar. Or a maybe, depression era bar. Yeah, that sounds uplifting. Well, a 1930s bar. Let's put it that way. That's probably the better way of putting it. Uh, or maybe even a pirate ship. I think. Uh, I hope I'm remembering remembering those correctly. Before we move on, I want to channel my inner Brett McGarry, and he would say something like, uh, "Well, it's too bad you got out of the escape room." Yeah, Brett McGarry would say something, something like that. Something like that, he, yes. Yeah, he's going to be taking part in an escape room with myself and a few of us on Friday, which we're oh, looking cool. forward to. All right. Let me introduce our guests here. We have Laura Hawkins, owner of Enigma Escapes, and Shay, and please correct me if I get your wrong, your last name wrong here, uh, Kosokowski. That was really good. Yeah, you got it. There we go. Also <laughs> co-owner of Enigma Escapes. Welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Um so I did, the, uh, Laura, we had you on a couple years ago with Jeff Courier when he was hosting the Nighthawk, and that's right. when I was first introduced to an escape room at Enigma Escapes. I'm sure uh, many people have heard about what these things are, but for the uninitiated, what is an escape room? Yeah, it's interesting. That was right at the very beginning when we were first opening. So 
Basically, in an escape room, you go with friends and family. You have 60 minutes to solve a series of puzzles, codes, clues, and uh, try to basically escape the room or accomplish some sort of a task. Now, uh, it's, uh, the business has changed a lot mm-hmm. in the two, two and a half years since we started. But yeah, that was, that was way back at the very beginning that you guys first came out. And, and what I thought was interesting is, I believe, were you guys the first ones to open up in Winnipeg? No, we were actually the third. Uh, there are now eight uh, different escape room companies oh. just in Winnipeg. Wow, I didn't know it was that. What, mm-hmm. what accounts for this explosion in, because three years ago, this was unheard of in Winnipeg. That's right. And I think that what it does attest to is how popular it is and how darn fun it is to go and escape with your family and friends. So one of the things is, is that people are getting the opportunity to unplug a little bit. We do uh, remove your cell phones from you uh, when you arrive. And uh, that's, it's honestly, fan- oh, a terrible tragedy oh. for some people. Some people really do suffer for that hour. But uh, one of the things that's really nice is when you get multi-generational groups in there because you can get adult children with their parents and they're in and they're interacting and younger kids can come in with their parents. I was bugging Greg a little bit earlier because he still hasn't made it down. No, I'll have to bring my boys down. I wasn't sure what the cutoff was. So that's why uh, one oh, there is no why, cutoff, absolutely. why I was looking forward to this. I, my boys love to solve mysteries and they're into Harry Potter, of course, and, and some of the other uh, fantasy uh, novels. So I, I think maybe we're at the point in time where they would really appreciate that. What's uh, what's the age limit, Shay? Where do, where do, where does your uh, clientele start age wise? We honestly do not have an age cutoff. We've had actually we tell a funny story from when we very first started and we had our five my five year old niece in there and she was able to solve some things that the adults <laughs> in the room weren't just from uh, being a little bit more observant and looking at things a little bit more straight up, people tend to overthink a little bit sometimes. I mean, generally, we we say about 12, 13, if you want to have just a group of kids, kind of with an adult in the room, just to kind of keep things focused. But we've had as young as, like I said, we've had babies in there and then uh, all the way up to knitting groups of seniors. Uh, seniors. seniors really enjoy it. Well, the knitting yeah. groups, okay. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. it's funny you mentioned overthinking in an escape room because there are so many uh, puzzles in there and things to do. I know myself and uh, our own reporter here at CGOB, uh, Keith McCullough, when we went with the group, both of us were overthinking all the time. We were kind of in the corner thinking to ourselves, well, this must be connected to that. And then if we put the dots in a certain way and then, you know, do a dance or whatever it okay, is, okay. we'll figure I, I this got, out. I got, you got to stop now. You got to stop. Because <laughs> I'm trying to picture exactly what this looks like. It's almost so, like a real life board game. You're, okay. You, you yeah. go into a themed room. Everything How big is themed. this room? Size of this room? Okay, so yeah. maybe like so, uh, fifteen like, by fifteen is what say, I usually okay, say. Okay, well, two hundred twenty-five square feet. Okay, okay. Yeah, and everything is themed, and you have boxes all around that have locks on them, and you mm-hmm. might have a clock in the corner that has some numbers on it. You may try that on a lock, or you might find a key, and that just gets you going and opens one box, which gives you a clue that helps you with another box. All of the rooms have surprises in them, so there's certain mm-hmm. things that we can't really talk about, so mm-hmm. you really do have to come down and that's experience fair. it. But mm-hmm. one of the things I want to make really clear, if there's anybody that's heard about escape rooms and for whatever reason they haven't gone and tried them yet, when you do come to Enigma, you have a dedicated game master, so someone is watching you as you play and listening. And if you, their whole job, their whole training and everything is for you to have the best time you possibly can. So I always say a little bit of agitation is part of the fun, but when you start to want to punch the drywall because you're getting stuck, we have our game master who comes in and helps you along exactly the amount you need to have a great time and to be successful. So you're not going to get stuck in there. We really train our people to kind of, we call them the last member of the team. 
it's it's not like Big Brother's watching and it's all very intimidating. They really at you. And look, yeah. they're gonna punch each other's legs out. It's been really good. I got Never ten happens. bucks on the, on this guy, and now I got twenty bucks on her. And well, that's good to know. That's yeah, good no, to we know. don't have a no. It's it's really it's it's meant to be as least intimidating as possible. It's just really about tailoring to the group skill level and having them have as much fun as they possibly can. If if it, if your cup of tea is competing, we can you know give you fewer hints or make things a little tougher but uh for the most part we get a lot of beginners and they usually leave and are happy they played i imagine (laughs) this is how i imagine is being immersed in a in a real life live version of the game clue this is just like i imagine it it's partly that uh you know in clue you when you start the game you know for sure you're looking for who did it uh, how and with what weapon, right? You know that. In our rooms, they're a little bit more uh, sneaky than that. You don't necessarily know exactly what it is that you're looking for. You're, you do get an introductory video that gives you a bit of a summary of it. But like I said, there's lots of surprises in there that we can't talk about. And uh, so, I don't know, it's it's just a really amazing experience. We experienced it first three years ago in Europe and uh, decided we had to do it here. And uh, it's really exploding across What's the North attraction? America. What's the attraction? The visceral feelings that you get that, that make people enjoy it? There's actually an adrenaline rush when you solve a puzzle. And uh, I'm much better at writing puzzles than I am at solving them. I like <laughs> to create the rooms. When I play them, I, I suck, actually. But We are junkies ourselves. We just got back from a trip to Europe where we played, I think, five or so over there. I, myself, played over 60. We are wow. huge huge junkies for this stuff and every time no matter you know my just the last time we played every time you open that box you get this rush of reward that's so exciting and when you solve it in the end it's just you are on a high for hours afterwards and all you want to do is talk about exactly what happened and who did what it's very team building too you know we get the jets prospects in every year they were just in a couple of weeks ago and you really get to see how different people work together so it's great for corporate team building but it's even in a family dynamic and and those sorts of things you you really enjoy it and you talk about it afterwards a lot i bet you Say that, eh, Tristan? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I know that the times we we went to Enigma Escapes ourselves and we, we had just discussions about it afterwards and just who did this and how we solved this and the, all the times we overthought about it and the other time where we didn't think about it enough. And it, if you love something that's fun but challenges your brain, this is really the way to, to spend an hour. And, it, you know, Laura and Shay, there's, uh, the, the rooms are each have different themes to them. Completely different. Right now we have four rooms at our main location. We've got what happened in Ravenwoods, which you guys are going to come down and play on Friday. That's our sort of scary Halloween room. We're opening another one up across the hall from there, hopefully next week, if all goes well. And then we have another location with four new really exciting rooms that we've got on the northeast side of the city that we're going to open up. So every single one of them is, is unique and every puzzle in every room is completely unique from each other. Now, just because Brett's not here this afternoon, I'm doesn't mean we're not going to find a way to tie this to golf. Okay, <laughs> we'll do that when we come back. Uh, we're talking about Enigma escapes. Escape rooms themselves have become incredibly po- popular, not only in Winnipeg but across the globe. Right? This, this is kind Definitely. of one of the the latest entertainment fads. We'll talk a little bit more about this and what you can learn. There's your hint as it pertains to golf. What you can learn about a person that you play and engage in and enter an escape room with and hopefully get out with uh, when we come back. I'm Greg, he's Tristan, and we've got Shay and Laura here in studio. We're talking about escape rooms. Your calls are welcome as well, 204-780-6868.
So how am I going to tie this to golf? Here's how I'm going to tie this to golf. We're talking about escape rooms, Greg Mackling, Tristan Field-Jones for Brett McGarry, and we're visiting with Laura and Shay from Enigma Escapes. You did such a good job with Shay's last name. No. I didn't dare want to go near it because <laughs> you just said it so beautifully. You did. You really did. Oh, Kosakowski. Oh, Kosakowski. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and Laura Hawkins here. I just wanted to see you sweat a little bit. Um I, I made the analogy or, or threatened, I guess, before we, we uh, went to weather that I was going to bring golf into this. Mm-hmm. And I think I heard Jeff Courier mention this on my way in from St. Vitale Center this afternoon uh, between 12 and 1. And just this idea, if you want to learn about an individual, I think the best way to do that is to go golfing. You learn about their etiquette, their manners, how they react under stress their politeness, uh, all sorts of things that you can learn about an individual by spending four or five hours, not only in the clubhouse, but on the golf course, and then again in the clubhouse, of course, uh, with someone. But uh, in our conversations off the air, Laura, I think there are some similarities between golf and that learning of a certain individual's uh, teamwork, their idea of how they view other people uh, if you bring them to an escape room. Well, the escape room will take you outside the norm. You're in a different world, so to speak, and people do sort of forget who they are a little bit when they start to play. But uh, certain traits will definitely come out. You get your bossier people, you get the pushier people, you get people that are super enthusiastic and supportive of each other you get the takeovers you know but uh, generally speaking i think when you have played an escape room together with people you're going to find out a little bit of different things necessarily than you might in the workplace for example because it's quite escapism it's quite out there but you do have a time limit there's time pressure on you and uh, some people do get a little bit uh, revved up when they're in there i don't know about tristan did you find that at all Getting a bit revved up. Uh, yeah, especially when it comes to the last five minutes of the hour. I think we kind of had uh, uh, some pressure on us, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't the type of pressure you get when it's, oh man, five minutes until uh, five minutes left before I have to finish writing this exam or doing an assignment, right? It's kind of a good kind of pressure of we can solve this or we're so close to solving it. I, I just wanted to mention that we had a lady in one time in a team building experience and she was very introverted and looked like she wasn't going to have any fun when she got into the room. And we were so shocked when she went into the room because she just got right in there because she had a few successes right off the bat. And the other people that she worked with were cheering her on and really engaging with her. And I'm not sure that happens a lot in her workday. And uh, it was a beautiful thing to watch. It was absolutely wonderful to see her. uh, What's the word? Just... Thriving. Thriving, Thriving. exactly. Now, I mentioned uh, in in the previous segment about how overthinking it uh, can really not necessarily um, uh, not necessarily ruin things, but it can slow you down at times. And Shay, you said something interesting that was kind of related to that. Mm-hmm, I did. We often have people who come in and they'll play one room and they'll have such a blast that they just want to hop into another one. They'll do a back-to-back game and they'll expect to just crush it in that because they're on a roll, they're on a high. And sometimes what we often find is that the second game is actually harder than the first game. Because they think they've, we, we really work hard to make our rooms different from each other. And uh, people will go into the second room and think they, like I said, think they've got it all figured out and overthink thinking that something similar is done exactly the way it was done in the first room. And they can get so hung up on that that they can't take a step back and look at the whole puzzle with fresh eyes. With fresh eyes. So it's kind of funny. It's almost like you need to leave everything you know at the door so that you can really 
get a fresh perspective. We were talking about how competitive people can be. And, you know, I kind of shudder when I hear people say that professional athletes will, oh, they're just, they're mailing it in or they're, or they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're throwing the game. Have you ever played anything against your brothers or your sisters? I, I always hated to lose at anything. And one thing I always hate to lose at is Monopoly. <laughs> and Shay, this whole idea that, you know, Monopoly can can really bring out the worst in, in some people. It really can. I mean, it really, really can. I think everyone has a horror Monopoly story in their past where they can remember boards flipping, people getting into heated arguments. And that's really, you can say that across the board about board games in general, I guess you're, you're, it's a fun, healthy sense of competition when you're playing a board game against each other. But what we were saying and what we love about escape rooms is that you're you're competing against a common enemy, which is the clock, that 60-minute countdown, and you are working together. It is full-on teamwork. You are on the same team, and that's something I think is unique because you can have the same group of four friends who can go out and play a board game together and be kind of head-to-head the whole time, or you can come play an escape room, and you're really working 100% together and I love that and, part of it. I yeah. love seeing people cheering each other on. I love the high fives and the cheering. And sometimes I just go to Enigma and sit in the control room and just listen to the sounds of the happy people. There's amazing sounds that come out of there. There's yeses and screams and yells and cheers. And it's it's so much fun to be there. And also mm-hmm. hear all the creative ways people come up with new swear words, I'm sure, too. Yeah, occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> they, sometimes you get people that come out and look at you kind of sheepish, sorry. I know I swore a lot when I was in there. Oh, it's okay. Heard it all before. <laughs> I am one of those people that swears when I go into an escape room, I'm sure. I've, uh, yeah. I think, I think it's terrific <laughs> to realize that just when you think you've seen it all, something else will come along and go, wow, isn't that a really wicked idea? And as an entrepreneur myself, Laura, uh, I know that part of your story is that you found this while you were traveling. And it is such a great way, travel is such a great way to realize and, and discover new business ideas. So just walk us through that a little bit before we let you go, that whole idea of uh, discovering something that you never even realized existed somewhere else. Well, we are, our family are game players. We enjoy that. We were traveling in Europe. Shay actually found uh, escape rooms on TripAdvisor. Uh, We played in Dublin, Athens, and Paris. And by the time we played in Paris, we were so hooked, we had to bring it back to Winnipeg. And we we did that. We've uh, actually, uh, we sell modular rooms across North America now. We're in 17 cities. So for us to have somebody in St. Augustine, Florida, walking in and playing the Lucky Duck Speakeasy is a bit of a mind-blowing thing for Shay and I that uh, these rooms that we've developed are are being played by people all over. You know, it's kind, it's kind of crazy. You're but an escape room at wholesaler. It, pretty much, yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is we are firmly convinced that the genre will stay around. We stay on top of things to make sure that our rooms are going to continue to be exciting and new and fresh. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away real soon. I mean, we're putting a pretty big investment into making sure that happens. And uh, I I think there's a lot to be said for it. If people have not played, they really ought to give it a try. And uh, I think they'll be hooked just like like we are. So what's the timeline here from the time you played your first one in Europe to uh, opening uh, Enigma? What what was the amount of time? Three Three years years ago right now. now. Wow. Yes, July. We went, we went July three years ago, and then we came back. At that point, we, there were no escape rooms here. There was nothing really in Canada. I think there was 
a few in Toronto, and then we we started the construction process. Opened up in January. By that time, two others had opened, uh, and yeah, that was so. That was two and a half years ago. We opened. What in your DNA gave you the the gumption to do that? For lack of a better word, uh, had you ever uh, done anything like that before? I own an advertising agency, and. Uh, Somewhere around 2008, things got a little skinny. And so, yeah, we were looking for new opportunities. Fantastic. Laura, Shay, thank you for this. Thank you so much for having us I'll be down with my boys, I, I promise. You, you have to. Greg, you have to. I almost want to come along and just observe you and see how that works. You can come along and teach me and coach us. And I can't yeah. wait for Friday. I understand this escape room is a little scary. What happened in Raven Woods? Oh, boy. <laughs> Shay, Laura, Enigma out. Escapes, thank you so much for this. Tristan Field-Jones filling in for Brett McGarry, standing by to uh, deliver the global news and weather at the top of the hour. It's Mackling and McGarry with TFJ. Nazareth coming to Winnipeg, July 28th at the Burt. You want to go? We have tickets. Yeah. But... You have to have a little bit of knowledge about this band in Certainly. order for us to uh, cough up these tickets. Two of them, in fact. Tristan, what have you engineered in order to give away these tickets today? Here's what I have engineered. You need to name the four members of the original lineup. That's what you need to do. So is this something like, uh, I, I, I've seen Nazareth... I like a lot of their music, but I couldn't name one member at any point in their incarnation. Is this something that a real Nazareth fan I, I should know? I think so. If you, you should know their original lineup and when they released uh, Hair of the Dog, which was their biggest album. What year was that? That was 75, I believe. 1975. Uh, so this was their original lineup. Their original lineup was around for almost 10 years. How many people? How many, how Four many, of them. How many dudes are we talking? Four of them. Four, Four dudes. dudes. Okay. 204-780-6868. Yep. all four of them. It was just like that. Just like that. Jeff Forche standing by. <laughs> Phone is ringing off the hook here. Good luck, Jeff. Have fun with that. 204-780-6868 if you want to go and see Nazareth on us. Two tickets to see them July 28th at the Burt. Uh, kind of an underrated band, right, Nazareth? You know, I, I've heard a few of their songs. I, have, I want to listen to... I, I'm very much an album guy. Right. right. I love listening to albums in their entirety. Uh, so I want to listen to the whole Hair of the Dog album. Uh, would you do that because, on vinyl, or would you just kind of download that? What would your preferred method be at this point? You know, I understand the appeal of vinyl, but frankly, um, I'm you very much... You can't be bothered? Uh, not that I can't be bothered, no, but it's just I'm an MP3 guy. It's all convenient. It's all there, and I can listen to it while I'm doing some other stuff. Or I understand, like, it's it's... The, it's the whole notion of you're interacting with the music, right? You know, when you have to switch sides on the vinyl... You know, you have to get up and you have to 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 be almost part of the song, right? Or part of the album, I should say. But you know what? I, with the invention of MP3s and the still, of you're missing you're si missing some of the nuances. Oh, I I don't doubt that. But there's nothing like, and I, I've heard this said before. There's nothing like the first play on vinyl, the first initial play of a freshly pressed, purchased vinyl record album. Mm -hmm. You put it on. That turntable, that first time you play it, you put the needle down, whether you got linear tracking or you, you, you just kind of rest it on there. It'll never sound better. Okay. Than that first time you. around the, on the uh, little turntable. But uh, being a, a person of the 21st century, I, I think I you're missing out, man. Okay. Okay. We got a winner yet there, Forts? We sure do. Who are we congratulating? Uh, Who are we sending to see Nazareth? 
Uh, Ken Ewell. Way to go, Ken. And uh, Ken knew the four original members of Nazareth. Can you name them, Jeff Forche? Or do we uh, have to count on Tristan Field-Jones? Oh, well, cool. either one of us, cool, I think, Jeff. could do that. Jeffrey? Uh, Dan McCafferty, Manny Charlton, Pete Agnew. Am I saying that right? Pete Agnew, yep. And Daryl Sweet. Well done. Thank you. Appreciate that very much. Ken, you're going to see... Nazareth, July 28th at the Burt. Take a pause, come back. Uh, we'll update uh, some weather and then sp- the sports. The sports things. Get up. Everybody's going to move their feet. Get down. Everybody's going to leave their seat. Is that how it goes? <laughs> you don't know, do you? Greg Mackling. Uh, I'm not sure exactly Justin what rendition I'm listening to right now. but okay. Oh, it's the spoken word version of Detroit Rock City. Okay. Yeah. Um, Tomorrow night, Blue Bombers back at IGF. They were home 29-10 losers to Calgary Stampeders Friday night. Thursday night tomorrow, the Toronto Argonauts are here. Ricky Ray. I know uh, Jamal Westerman and you uh, hit it off yesterday in our conversation, Tristan. Are you uh, going to an escape room with uh, Jamal on Friday night? No. No? Okay. I I misinterpreted something there. I thought you guys really hit it off. (laughs) In our conversation yesterday afternoon, our coverage gets underway at 5.30 kickoff just after 7.30 here on 680 CGOB. I was at St. Vitale Center all morning encouraging you to consider uh, your reasons for supporting the Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery. Tickets on sale only till midnight tonight. So you've got uh, 8 hours, 21 minutes to get your tickets. Don't wait. TriHospitalDream.com. Or if you prefer to buy by phone, purchase by phone, 204-254-4677. And I'm trying to tie these two things, the Blue Bomber game and the Tri-Hospital Lottery together via the 50-50. is pretty good 50-50 at the Bomber yeah. game. The uh, 50-50, you can purchase that. You can add on to your ticket. It's over $800,000. Wow. You get half. So, and the person that won the 50-50 uh, last year in the Tri-Hospital Dream Lottery, they bought their tickets on the very last day. So how about that? Do we have this stall? Have we been telling people about this stall? Southbound, St. Mary's at Bishop Grandin. Stalled pickup in the curb lane that's southbound, St. Mary's at Bishop. That won't be causing any problems whatsoever. No, no, whatsoever. I'm sure you'll be okay. There are reliable <laughs> traffic reports on Mackling and McGarry. You were talking about, yeah, complete with ed- editorialization. <laughs> we were talking about escape rooms uh, earlier on this afternoon. Uh, is there any escape from this room, from this lab that, is it four Chinese researchers are being subjected to? So uh, let me put it to you this way, Greg. If I said myself, you, Brett McGarry, and... Jeffrey Forche. Mm-hmm. If I said we're stuck in a room for 200 days. God help me. God help you as your yes. research. Well, yes. that, that's what four volunteers are doing in China. They'll be sealed in a lab for 200 days My word. as China prepares for its first manned moon mission. Is there anybody on this world you could think of being trapped in a room for 200 days and you would not go insane? Is there anybody in this world who you could? Sammy Hagar. Oh, boy. Um, Cheryl Ladd. It's her birthday today, mm-hmm. so that's why I'm thinking of Cheryl Ladd. Uh, uh. And uh, I guess I should better take my wife. That that would be a good idea. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, you know, with three other people, maybe your wife and your two kids. No, but I'll leave the kids behind. Two hundred days locked in a capsule. <laughs> Let me tell you, if I had GoPro footage of 
like two hours in a car as part of our uh, road trip to the Okanagan and back last year. Uh, yeah, three hours maximum at a time before uh, Greggy goes ballistic. So, yeah, no, 200 days? <laughs> Not a chance. They can stay with Grandma and Grandpa for 200 days. See you guys in about seven months. <laughs> He's such a loving father. I love it. Um, this is, it's, it's on a serious note. This is, I think this is absolutely fascinating because China, um, they've been, I don't think it's a secret that they've been trying to really ramp up their space uh, program and uh, they're hoping to have a manned mission to the moon within the next 15 to 20 years. Aren't they a little bit like 48 years behind? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And there's been talk amongst the U.S. and Russia about getting more people on the moon or maybe establishing a base there. That's been talk like that for decades. Uh, but it's just interesting how, you know, we think of the manned, you know, the first moon mission in 1969 where they were away for, uh, I think it was a matter of a few weeks. And, you know, you look at all the prep that goes into that. I mean, some of the research for the very first uh, Apollo spacecraft uh, and the very first manned moon mission, some of that research dates back to World War II. Sure it does. And the dirty little secret, of course, is that a lot of those Nazi scientists got new names and new identities when they moved over to the U.S. and to other allied nations, including Canada. And a lot of those, because of their experience with uh, some of the Nazis' rocketry technology, V2, the V1s V1, and yeah. V1 and V2 rockets, a lot of them were essential in getting, uh, uh, in helping with the, the U.S. space program. And uh, I'm listening fact, to you. They, they even have footage uh, of when the U.S. captured one of those V2 rockets, um, and in 1946, they decided to, to test it out, and it actually, they strapped a camera on top of it, and it actually made it out to outer space. Okay, so the Apollo 11 astronauts mm-hmm. spent 22 hours on the physical moon. Less than one whole day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, sorry about my squeaky chair here. It's about to go out the window and into the parking lot. This is why you couldn't be in, in with Greg. <laughs> this is why you couldn't be with Greg in a room for 200 days because you should see. 200 minutes is too long in a room with me. Well, our show's about 200 minutes, right? This seems to be okay. That was kind of the assimilation I was trying to bring. Actually, no, our show's 180 minutes if you include commercials. Right. So, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a pretty good threshold because Greg is just, he's clicking his pen, he's gritting his teeth. And uh, would you like, I have to ask you this, Greg, would you, uh, even if it were just for a few hours, if the opportunity arose that you could go to space, would you do it? For how long? Uh, it could be. Like the SpaceX w- thing, they're talking about taking guy, uh, individuals, human beings up to the moon for basically for a beer and back. Yeah, absolutely. I would. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, but it, that whole Mars thing? No. No, Mars would be a bit no, much, but no, I'm thinking no. like if space tourism, when it eventually, because it, 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 it might take decades, but space tourism will it's eventually become decades. a thing. You think it's it's a matter of years, man. Well, when space tourism becomes a thing and eventually becomes more affordable, yes. if it were accessible even just to be around well, Earth. with Arbor, our radio salaries, we could be first in line to be uh, on those ships, can we not? Tongue planted firmly in cheek. Yeah, no, I would totally do it. I would totally yeah. do it, but uh, the Mars thing, no. I, I joke uh, about my kids and my lack of affection for my children. Anybody who knows me knows my I love my kids a ton. Mm-hmm. I could not do the whole Mars thing and be away. They could probably do it. They would probably find leaving me for that long and the idea of maybe they not come back, but I would not leave them yeah. with the idea of not it's, coming back. Dad, we're them. going to the Okanagan without you, if that's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, Record the, the footage and send it to me. Okanagan is code for Mars. In this situation. We should probably take a break, right? We should take a break, yes. I'm terrible at controlling the clock. Fortay, should we take a break? 
We'll take a break. Traffic, weather, together, all that sorts of good stuff. And uh, Richard and Julie going to pop in for a visit in just a minute. I'm Greg. He's Tristan. Richard Cloutier in studio with us right now. He and Julie Buckingham get you home informed and safely keep it locked here through 7 o'clock. What are you working on, Rich? Are you familiar with the Game of Thrones? You guys fans? I, I don't watch the series, no, frankly. Sorry, Rich. Well, there are a lot usually, of people that I do. Usually I can play A lot of people game. that do. And uh, this is the person who is behind this language in Game of Thrones and several other languages that you see in TV and on the movies. David Peterson will join us. He is a language creator. He will join us uh, later in the 4 o'clock, cool. uh, after 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Heather Steele, Loren McNabb, uh, co-anchors of Global News at 6, will also join us. Uh, you've been reading the story about the selfie, the monkey, and the copyright lawsuit. Oh, one of the most ridiculous stories I've heard. We yes. have a copyright lawyer on that, <laughs> who, by the way, is also negotiating with Coke on the issue of another very popular YouTube song, uh, so we've got the quirky covered this afternoon nice. and into early evening on the news and several other stories that we're working on um, about uh, your city. What's the deal with Jubilee? It's back up and, and running uh, yep, the Jubilee underpass? Yep. As far as we know. That was 45 minutes in Pemina Highway lineup. I, I did my best Brett McGarry. <laughs> oh, Richard, that smash! That hurt. Thank you, Richard. Well, while Richard gets a new uh, wrist there, uh, Richard Cluche, Julie Buckingham on the news from 4 until 7 tonight. Uh, Greg, I have to admit, every time we there's a, just a second of silence, yeah. uh, <laughs> hearing that squeaky chair, oh. uh, it makes me smile a little bit because I can Don't. only imagine how quickly the temperature inside your head, the temper inside your head is just skyrocketing to astronomical proportions yeah uh, and it's yeah. like we talk about be, brett smash yeah i won't be sitting in this chair tomorrow promise you that hey you know uh size gagnum style gagnum gagnum style there is no longer the most watched video on youtube it uh broke youtube's play counter and uh exceeded the maximum possible number of views two billion one hundred forty seven million four hundred eighty three thousand six forty seven and forcing the the company to rewrite its code, it's actually been overtaken by another music video by Wiz Khalifa and uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name. Charlie Puth, 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 Puth. Yeah, yeah. See you again. It's uh, been it's been uh, viewed two billion eight hundred ninety five thousand three seventy three seven hundred and nine. And then I'm going to click on it now and uh, see what all the fuss about it is. It's not, a, it's not times. a great video. It's, uh, apparently it's, it's very popular on the YouTube. Well. Uh, nobody wants to buy the song. Perhaps they'll just watch it for free on YouTube. Watch a commercial and watch, and watch it on YouTube for well, nothing. You remember when uh, and, and when Gangnam Style by Psy surpassed a billion views and I it was do. A, a big, big deal yes. and nowadays, you know if it's a popular song out there, Taylor Swift releases something, Beyonce releases something, whatever it may be, uh, for them to reach a billion views, that's still remarkable Is but it pedestrian now? It, a little bit, yeah. I mean, there's, I don't know how many videos on YouTube, especially music videos, have a billion views or more, but it's it's certainly several dozen, I would think. And we were talking about the uh, craziest thing you ever saw, witness, yeah. crime, car accident, otherwise. Jillian uh, texted me, uh, sent me a message actually on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle, at GMAC Winnipeg, G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G, said, I saw the man slip under the rail and fall to his death at the old Winnipeg Stadium. 
My seats were right where he fell. I still have the newspaper clipping and remember exactly how I felt and how upsetting it was. I will never forget that. We'll talk, maybe uh, incorporate that with our conversation with Carolyn Clausen, the idea of how Mm -hmm. long-term trauma, burying your traumas uh, can affect you long-term. That based on the conversation we had off the top, that there were many witnesses, broad daylight, uh, the stabbing as a result of uh, potentially a road rage incident uh, downtown uh, in the uh, far east end of the west end, if that makes sense, at uh, Maryland and Portage at the uh, gas station at that intersection. We'll talk about that and other things tomorrow afternoon. I think that's it. We're out of time, right, Fort Jay? Oh, just about there. Just about just there? Just about there. Well, Jeffrey, why don't you sing for so about 30 seconds? Why don't you do this? Give us the, give stretch, us the it stretch, out, stretch, 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 stretch it out, boys. Stretch it out. Okay, well, well. Let's just start reading numbers in the phone book, and then once we're done. No. no. Uh, our voices are not that good. That is not going to happen for us. Uh, we will say goodbye, though, uh, this afternoon. Richard Cluche and Julie Buckingham, they mm-hmm. are standing by. They'll take you through until 7 o'clock. And don't forget Charles... Adler tonight, right here on 680 CJOB. Charles was kind enough to join us earlier this afternoon. I know he's going to have much more on the continuing situation in the United States. Politically, things are uh, turning into a little bit of a hot potato, to say the a least. Tire fire. Is uh, a, tire fire. That's an interesting yeah, way to put dumpster it. Dumpster fire, whatever you want to call it. That's the more hot potato. Yeah, I, dumpster fire, I think, is the more accurate uh, uh, description for that situation. And we apologize one more time for not being able to uh, interact with you on our text message machine. The technology let us yeah. down. Uh, hopefully it'll be back up tomorrow. And I'm sure we'll be inundated with conversation and comments mm-hmm. about our, our Donald Trump Jr. discussion. The with, hamsters turning the wheels in the texting machine. They had to take a break. So. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, that's it for us. Jeffrey Forche on Master Control. Thank you so much, as always doing a masterful job. Tristan, great to spend the day with you. And don't forget, Friday, we will be at Santa Lucia. Oh, looking forward to that. patio from 1 till 4. Looks like a fantastic afternoon for a little bit of pizza, water, and uh, Pepsi. Yeah, Pepsi. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.